Hey there, is today your first time here? Or maybe your first time in a while? If so, maybe you're wondering exactly who we are and what this church is all about. Well, we'd like you to know that we're a group of ordinary people who are on an amazing journey together, following Christ. Our guide is the Bible because it's the divinely inspired Word of God and it will never take us in the wrong direction. Along the way, we hope you'll see that we are welcoming and spiritually passionate and that getting to know you is a big deal to us. We know that the road is rough sometimes, but we'll work really hard to bring you practical and relevant messages to equip and encourage you through life's ups and downs. We want you to know that we care about this community and we believe that it's our job to make it a better place. So no matter who you are or where you've been, we're glad you're here with us today. And we hope that you'll join us on our journey, following Christ and living out His plan for us. So welcome to church. Good morning, Church Online, and good morning those of you that are with us this morning. You know, we, I was listening to a podcast, I'm kind of a podcast junkie, and uh, one, of, one of them talks about the Barna Group, which is a big research organization, and what they found is that a lot of people, when they think of church, think of what the church is against. But I want you to know one of the things that we're for, our church is for children. Our church is for the community. And because of that, I want to highlight something, which is why I'm wearing this highlight yellow shirt. One of the ways our church is partners with the community is, is we support this four-town soccer program, and we get our name right here on the back of this cool shirt. You know, and, and that's just one of the ways that your gifts, your giving, helps us to make a difference in these children's lives. Because... As you coach and as you invest in the community, you find out there's a lot of kids that come from a lot of different places. Some of them have multiple parents. Some of them have multiple homes they live in. And so it's just one of the ways that we can impact them through showing them our love for Christ. Another way is coming up in the end of the month is our trunk or treat. And that's just another event we do that we can show these kids that we love them, that we don't need anything from them. We just want to show up and show them who Jesus is. So if you want to participate in that, you can talk to my wife, or you can talk to Megan and get a trunk set up. And the other way is uh, after church is what's next, after this service. And that's just a place where you can ask any questions you want and try to stump Dave. Now, he might not be able to answer them, but don't let that stop you from asking him. And he's in luck because his dad's here this morning, and he is a cornucopia of knowledge and anything that Dave can't answer, I'm sure that he can. Also coming up, the end of the month, is our baptism information meeting on the 24th. And that's just an opportunity to find out what baptism is, what it's all about. And the thing that's nice about baptisms here is it's just a time where we can tell our stories. How we can tell how God has shown up in our lives, impacted our lives, and how he wants to continue that trajectory. And then the baptism will follow the first, first week in November. So enjoy the rest of the service. Good morning. Would you stand and sing with us?
I happen to have a few of those, and I'm learning how to parent better and teaching my kids how to be parents. And this verse came to me this morning. It's Psalm 139, 14. How you made me is amazing and wonderful. I praise you for that. What you have done is wonderful, and I know that very well. So in knowing that we are all created differently and wonderfully, we can listen to what Dave has to say today and apply it to each of our situations. So let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for our time together to calm our hearts and quiet our minds and to listen to the things that you would have for us. God, I pray that as you um, speak to us through what Dave has to say today, that we would apply it to our lives and not only listen to it, but do it. Lord, I pray that as the example that I set for my own children and maybe other people's children too, that it would be the right example. In your name we pray. Amen.
down for two seconds and you stole it.
didn't see you there, the way you're just sitting there in your chair watching your football game. You kind of blend in with your surroundings. You're like a little chameleon. You know, be sure to let me know if I need to come over there and roll you over so you don't get bed sores, all right? Gosh. God, what can I say about Kelly? Except that she makes me want to spend more time with the kids. I get up and I work my fingers to the bone. You see that right there? That's bone you're looking at. I would just ask that you call on all of your might and all of your power and give me one solitary day where my wife is not nagging me into an early grave. Better give it back. Better give it back. Jog and jog and jog and jog and jog to her. I look my best. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. Say it one more time. Well, good morning and welcome back to another installment of This Is Us. Now, we've been working our way through the last two weeks about family life. Last week, uh, we started and started to unpack that a little bit. And we saw that uh, wives are to invite their husbands to lead. And we talked a little bit about that so you can catch up by seeing last week's. And then, uh, this, and then also we saw last week that uh, husbands ought to lead your wife with applied love. And as we work our way through this, we're seeing that no matter where our background is, uh, no matter where our faith is, whether we're uh, just kicking the tires trying to figure out if this has something for us, or whether we're a committed Christ follower, as we're talking through these ideas, there definitely are applications and things that we can learn about and grow in. And, uh, you know, just, uh, again, continue to follow Christ and uh, figure out how that shakes out. In the story, This Is Us, it's about the Pearsons, and it's about uh, different time periods, and they're trying to navigate that. And one of the things you learn real quickly if you're into that series is you see that they are basically good people trying to make good decisions. But the one thing that we would say is missing from their decision-making process, from trying to figure things out, is the awareness that there is a God uh, who loves them, and also the awareness that there's this possibility of having a relationship with him that helps define and inform our relationships. So they try really hard, they do good things, but they're always just one step away from just turmoil and things like that. And then those of us uh, who are a little more familiar with who God is and how he speaks into our life. He's the one who designed relationships. We discover that he has a lot to say to the way we live our lives and uh, the way we have our relationships. Um, Paul uh, talks to the Colossians in this verse as he kicks off this idea, both in Ephesians and Colossians. He says, let every detail in your life words, actions, whatever, be done in the name of the Master, that's Jesus, thanking God the Father every step of the way. And so what he's basically saying is that when you and I take the pieces of our life, when we take the details of our life, which include our relationships, and lay them before the Father and let him speak into those, we find that we've got guidance and can, can figure out how to do things just, just a little bit better. Now, as, as we get into talking about all of this, we always need to remember that there are no perfect examples when it comes to families. There just aren't. If we go all the way back and look at the Older Testament, uh, we're going to see that just family after family, they get it pretty good or they get pretty bad, but there are not any perfect examples. 
And so as we come to the table, in a sense, as we come and look at all of this, we just need to realize that. So if you're feeling pretty good about your family experience, uh, not to knock you down a peg or two, but you need to realize that you aren't par- perfect, just like I'm not perfect. And if you're feeling pretty bad about family experiences, relationships, and those kinds of things, you need to realize that you know, you're, you're in the same boat as the rest of us. We have difficulties. There are no perfect examples. And then today makes it a little more interesting that my parents are here this morning. Uh, so everyone's going, where are they? They're kind of in the back there. So, uh, you know, they can, they can go, hey, wait a minute. That's not what happened. You know, Dave's over saying that, under saying that. I never did that or whatever. But anyway, but uh, they're here. So, I, you know, I have the pressure of that. But anyway, as you and I are thinking about this, uh, we need to realize that they're just, that the, that the people that show up on Sunday or the people you see outside uh, you're not getting the full picture. So, for example, back years ago when the girls were younger and uh, they were all at home and we would have community group, let's say on Tuesday night, and we were getting ready for community group, uh, sometimes there was a sports thing going on, so we'd all rush home, pick up the kids, get them all going. Uh, the house needed some attention, so we're working on the house, woofing down dinner, um, kids are trying to do homework, and then all of a sudden sometimes it would be like, there's this project and we didn't know about that, and I'm actually running the vacuum cleaner, and Cindy's in the kitchen, and we're trying to get everything right, and then one of the kids again says, this is project, and I kind of start to go into this big speech about, if you'd only prepare, if you thought about this, and, and then I see Cindy from the kitchen rolling her eyes, like, this isn't the right time for this conversation, and all of a sudden, and then there's some screaming, there's, you don't understand, you hate me, all this kind of good stuff, and then all of a sudden, knock, 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 ding, dong, and all of a sudden, silent. Just perfect, almost like this video clip. You started it. You sit down. You sit down. Do something. Don't just stand there. I need you to intervene. You want me to intervene? Okay. I'm intervening. I'm intervening. Let go of your brother. That's exactly what would happen in our house. I'm sure that doesn't happen in your house. Actually, I know it happens in your house because you've been on the phone or someone, you've been craziness is going on and someone calls and you might even be exercising some volume in your communication, let's say it that way, and you answer that phone, you're like, hello, how are you doing? Yes, and everyone's looking at you shocked what just happened. So we've all been there. Again, there is no perfect family. So this is a judge-free zone, if uh, no poking the person next to you and all that kind of a thing, just understand that. So uh, this morning, uh, again, as we already said, last week we got into, you know, husbands and wives and, and those kinds of relationships, and today we're going to get into uh, relationships as parents and children. So if we could pull up Colossians uh, 3, I think that's slide 15. Uh, we're having a little technical difficulty today, so we're I'm having speak the slides, and LeVon's doing a great job back there. So we read in uh, Colossians 3.20, uh, children, do what your parents tell you. Ooh, uh, that isn't in there. That's in the Greek. Ugh, you know, um, this delights the master no end. Parents, don't come down too hard on your children, or you will crush their spirit. So what's that going to all be about? What we see in the next slide is really children ought to be ready, need to be ready to follow your parents. 
And again, we'll unpack that. We'll show what that means. Uh, sometimes when we hear that, we think of the extreme example of, what if my parents wanted me to like go rob a bank and do all this kind of stuff, and do I have to obey them? Come on, that, that's like, you know, don't, don't bring that extreme one in. We're talking normal, everyday children, obey your parents. Uh, we read in uh, Ephesians uh, 6 1, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And for some reason, we'll talk about this, God wants us to obey our parents. And that idea of obey means having the rhythm of obedience, to, to do it regularly, uh, to be waiting for them to say something. You've got like ears just waiting for them to say, hey, how about doing this? And you're like, oh, yes, I heard you. Not like, oh, I didn't hear you. Um, you know, I remember when I was a kid, you know, it would always be, David, would you, like to open, would you like to empty the trash? David, would you like to empty the trash? No, I don't want to. Okay, don't worry about it. No, it's just, you know, just waiting for those things, being responsive to our parents. And uh, that's to be a part of what we're supposed to be about. We're supposed to be following their lead. We're supposed to be ready to obey them. Uh, I like what Mark Twain once said, because some of us have indigestion with this idea. When I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant, I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much he learned in seven years. And if we're honest with ourselves, depends on where you are in that age, that there definitely are some things that our parents have said that now you're starting to go, maybe that's true. And not to be sad, but there's some of us who still who said, man, I wish my dad or mom were around so I could listen to what they would think. In the story, This Is Us, in the TV show, um, Jack, the father, uh, passes away when the kids are teenagers, and every once in a while you hear this comment, I wonder what Jack would have done. I wonder what Jack would have done. And they're asking that question, I wonder what our dad would have done, because in their mindset, Jack was the, the best dad possible and was taken from them way too early. So as children, under the household of our parents, uh, sometimes you say, well, when am I independent? Uh, in some ways, I, I like to joke that you're really independent when you're no longer on my insurance. When I have, no, you know, and, and because of, you know, I don't want to get into the good and bad of this, but right now, for some of us, that means you can be on your parents' insurance until they're 26. So, oh, no, thank you. You're on my insurance, so I do have some kind of say into your life because you really aren't independent because you are on my insurance to some degree. But we're, again, we're going to see how uh, that should flow. Uh, going on in Ephesians 6, we see, Honor your mother and father, your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you, that you may enjoy a long life on earth. Now, as a little kid, I thought this meant that if I honor my parents, that means I won't get killed. You know what I'm saying, right? And it does not really mean that. Well, it might mean that for some of you. But uh, what it really means is that somehow God takes pleasure. And somehow when we have 
in the fabric of our being as a child, the idea of honoring our parents, there's a health, there's a wisdom, there's a whatever to life that means you just live a little bit better. And again, I'm not saying, you know, we're going to talk about what happens about when we try to honor our parent and they're not honorable. We'll talk about that in a couple seconds. But, but this idea here is that, that naturally when you and I honor our parents, in a sense what comes around goes around to some degree. You can see that in Scripture. We act a certain way. This happens. So that is a part of this process. And, uh, you know, I can remember my father at least once saying to me, I hope you have one just like you in a moment of total frustration. And uh, fortunately, I don't think I got any just like me, maybe a little bit like me, but not what he was meaning in that moment. We'll see what happens in the next 20 years. But anyway, but, uh, you know, it's this idea that there's some kind of honor, some kind of blessing. And I think some of it is God likes to see us, and we saw this last week, as human beings, we, we need to learn how to submit to one another and to submit to order. And, and that's just kind of a, a rhythm of life, and he likes to see us do that. He likes us to submit to our parents in the right setting, and he likes to see us, obviously, submit to himself. So there's an imagery of our relationship with God. We even saw Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane just before he is about to lose his life. And we're going to celebrate that with communion a little moment. And a few moments later, we see him saying, not my will, but your will. Uh, he was saying, God, if there's a plan B, if there's some other way to make things right between mankind, human beings, and you, some other way of forgiveness besides me dying this way, I would like to opt for plan B. And God says, no, this is, this is the plan. I love you, my son, but this is the plan. There's no plan B. So Jesus says, okay, not my will, but your will. So there's something about that when we honor our parents. Now, a part of this we need to realize is, first of all, we need to acknowledge our parents' humanity and their efforts are the key components in showing them honor. So we acknowledge that our parents aren't perfect, and we also acknowledge their efforts in, in our life, and we realize that so we show them honor. We, we get the idea that even at the most basic level, our parents have done something for us whether it's the fact that you just have given us life. They've done something. So we can take that and we see their humanity. We don't expect them to be perfect, and we honor them. We show that we value them. And I think you and I need to be creative in the ways of trying to figure out how to honor them. You know, again, it's a little weird with my parents being here, but, uh, you know, I, I remember there was, one, there was a time period, and I actually dropped the ball on this, is that, that I, we were living in New Hampshire, and they were living in Boston. It was an hour and a half away. And in my mind, I said, you know, I should try to have lunch or breakfast with my dad once a month. We can meet halfway. It's 45 minutes out of my day. It's not a big deal. And uh, we did a few months, and then I kind of dropped the ball with it. And I had a little regret that. that but that was a way of me honoring and, uh, you know, and now living here so far away, you know, now they're moving out here, but, but so far away, you know, it's not like I can have lunch or breakfast when they're seven hours away. So trying to be creative and try to figure out those opportunities uh, while we have them celebrate them. 
Also with this is we need to um, understand, uh, we need to, parents, whether we consider them honorable or not honorable, we still need to honor them. And and that's hard, because I don't know your background. You could say, you don't know what I grew up in, or you don't know my parents were gone. And I don't know. I don't know. But there is a way, and we're going to see it in the life of Jonathan, there is a way to honor even when the actions aren't honorable. And if all of us are honest, and you can push everything to a certain degree, if all of us are honest, no matter who we are, there are some moments we're thankful that there wasn't a video camera videotaping us, me, Dave Spencer, when I was interacting with my kids because it wasn't as honorable. I don't even want to say it. It wasn't honorable. And uh, that reminds me of this video ABC put together just recently. Hey, good morning, George. Good morning, everyone. Uh, yes, this ref is posting these videos to hold parents accountable for creating a toxic environment at youth sporting events. The abuse has become so bad that the National Association of Sports Officials says over 70% of refs quit the job within the first few years. They are the sideline antics. Give a new meaning to poor sport. Parents caught on tape behaving badly while watching their kids play Little League and soccer. And now an Oklahoma father and referee is attempting to stop parents from acting like out of control children by publicly shaming them on this website. The fact that we want our kids to love the sport, instead of yelling and screaming like every other uh, crazy parent out there, go pull your kid if you don't like it. Brian Barlow is offering $100 for videos that show parents acting foul on the sidelines. Barlow then posts these videos to Facebook, his page featuring this soccer spectator. You are horrible! You are horrible! And this all-out brawl. So what I thought would be fun, you didn't know this, is I, I couldn't do $100, but I could do $25. So I reached out to all the kids in the community, and they were videotaping you over the last three weeks. And we're going to start to watch. Just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Boy, I'm happy that some of my worst moments as a dad are not on a videotape. Because there is at least one out there somewhere, and I have to be real honest because two of my daughters are here. So, okay, there's three. There's three times where it's bad. What would that be said? You know, parents and this, yeah, this is not to make us feel totally guilty, but it's to make us ask ourselves, boy, what things are we happy aren't on the videotape? What we said, things we said to our spouse back and forth, to our kids, whatever. You see, it's, it's, sometimes we make it hard for our, our kids to honor us. Some of us at this moment need to say, Ooh, I need to, in the next couple days, pull one of my kids aside and apologize. And not say, if I did this and made you feel this way. Say, I did do this, and I apologize. That behavior was not becoming of a Christ follower, and it was not becoming of a parent. I am sorry, and my demonstration of my sorriness is that I will attempt 
not to do that again or be that way again. And what's great is if you've said yes to Jesus, and if you're thinking about it, this is a good reason to say yes to Jesus, God joins your life. He's connected to your life. We talk about the Holy Spirit being a part of your life. And if you're quiet before him, he will speak to your heart. And so, you know, I, you know when I think of this, I, I'm like, Lord, don't give me like 20 things. Don't weigh me down. But if, if there's a couple things uh, I need to deal with that I just was just out of line, I don't want that shaping my children or somebody else. I, I want to come right with that. I want to I clean that up, and I want to not do that again. As we said earlier, there really aren't any good examples of perfect families in the Older Testament or even in the Newer Testament. The Older Testament has more stories. And, and one of the examples of this is Jonathan and his dad, Saul. So First uh, Samuel, you'll see it up on the screen, page 200. That's 200 in the Bibles around you. If you don't have a paper copy of the Bible and you want one, you can take one of those as a gift from Seneca Community Church. We think it's important that you have God's Word a part of your life. Also, there's a free app called Bible, uh, called YouVersion. Very thankful for Life Church and their huge ministry, and they make this available for free. And they have a number of translations, so you can have that wherever your phone is, wherever your smart device is, you can have a copy of God's Word with you, and that is awesome. So uh, let's start off in 1 Samuel 20, verse 30. Saul's anger flared up at Jonathan, and he said to him, you son of a perverse and rebellious woman. That's a nice way of saying some things. Don't I know you have sided with the son of Jesse to your own shame and the shame of the mother who bore you. Jesse, son of Jesse, that's David. You've got to remember that uh, basically God has said, Saul, your rule is numbered, and I'm raising somebody else up, and there's going to be David, and David uh, is everything at this point that Saul is not. He's faithful. Again, he's not a perfect man, but he's got a heart after God, and Saul is jealous of him. Actually, David was one of Saul's best allies. If you look at the Older Testament, you're going to see that when David was by Saul's side, things went better. He wasn't vying for the kingdom, and later on you'll see that he doesn't even try to take it when he has opportunities, but Saul is just blinded with rage and jealousy, and Saul is Jonathan's father, and Jonathan is the next apparent um, king. So, so when Saul's talking about these things, you're going to be the next king, but David is going to mess it all up, and this is Saul's reaction. As long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Now send someone to bring him to me, for he must die. And then we read on, why should he be put to death? What has he done? Jonathan asked his father. But Saul hurled a spear at him to kill him. Then Jonathan knew that his father intended to kill David because he wanted to kill Jonathan too. Jonathan got up from the table in fierce anger. Aren't we happy that Saul wasn't a good aim? He does this a couple times. Got up from in fierce anger, and on the second day of the feast, he did not eat because he was grieved at his father's shameful treatment of David. But somehow, 
Jonathan, even though Saul is off the rails, Jonathan still is able to honor his father, to show some respect to his father. He's king, and if you know the rest of the story, when Saul's kingdom comes to an end in battle, Jonathan is nearby and loses his life in defense of the kingdom, in the defense of Saul. So somehow Jonathan still honored his dad, even though his dad did dishonorable things. So what are you and I to do? Number one, we are to always respect our parents, even when it's difficult. And again, you may say, you don't know my situation. And you're absolutely right, I don't know. But I think this is a principle. Somewhere in your relationship with your parent, you're to have some kind of respect and honor for them. Um, At the most basic level, if it wasn't for them, you would not exist. So there is some honor in that. Um, Also, we need to find ways to affirm the good things they did in your childhood. Sometimes when I'm doing premarital counseling and we're talking about history and we're talking about growing up and all that goes along with that, one of the questions I'll ask, what do you remember from being a kid that was awesome? And most of the time there's great stories, but sometimes there's a kid or someone getting married, they're not kids, but I'm getting so old that they're like their kids, but there's someone, a bride or a groom, and they're talking to me and they have to search a little bit because it was hard. But you ought to be able to find something. to. I think it does something good for your soul, too, your heart, when you can affirm something that your parents did in your childhood. It's kind of healing a little bit. I'm not talking to you to manufacture and let's play pretend and all of that. And some of you, there's a few that may, the pickings are pretty slim. But for most of us, find someone, no matter what, find something to affirm in your childhood. Also, find ways, if your parents are still available, still living, still whatever, find some ways to encourage your parents. Even if they're not, even if they're not really reciprocal of that, if they don't want that, there might be some ways you can find that you can encourage your parents. And uh, the better their relationship, obviously, the easier this is. Um, I purposely try to call my parents two to three times a week. And and you don't have to copy me and all that kind of stuff, but that's one thing. I'm zipping around town, uh, and my parents know, hey, how you doing? It's five minutes. I'm pulling into a restaurant to meet with somebody. See you later. Love you. And and they get that. But but I want to encourage them. And and that that for me, it's almost like cheating. It's pretty easy because I'm zipping around. So, so, you know, you you can do that if, if you want. Um, also, there's a part of this is to set healthy boundaries. Sometimes there might be some boundaries. I joked about this uh, first service is that, uh, you know, when, um, uh, you know, my parents, uh, there's going to be a rule that after 9 p.m., no classical music blaring from the stereo. 
you know, dad, dad likes his classical music and likes it to be so loud that, the, that the, everybody can hear it. And, uh, you know, that's going to be a boundary. Sorry, Dad. Uh, but after 9 p.m., I don't want to hear Figaro, Figaro, whatever you play down there, coming up from the, from the apartment. So, you know, you set boundaries. Uh, some of those boundaries may be you limit your exposure to your parents if they're, they're really toxic. You can honor them from afar. Um, you and I can play games at this. So, so say, do I really need to set a boundary? Does it really need to look like this? What is it? And, and be honest, genuine. Uh, you may need to ask somebody else to help you with this because, you know, you sometimes do have to set boundaries. That sometimes means sometimes financially. Maybe, maybe you've helped your parents out a bunch of times or your dad or your mom or whatever, and, and, and you've, you've got to set a boundary, and this, this is it. I mean, got to do that before the Lord. Again, I think it's great that you, that if you've said yes to Christ, God can speak into, give you advice on this, but uh, set boundaries, whatever, whatever those may be. Um, uh, don't try to change your parents. Um, don't try to change them. Uh, respect who they are, and there's certain things they do and don't do, and that's, that's kind of who they are, and, and, and most of that isn't a right or wrong thing. It might be, in your mind, a wise thing one way or the other way, but you just don't try to change them. You, you try to honor who they are and celebrate who they are. And so, you, you know, that's kind of how we navigate with, with um, our parents. Now, next week, we're going to talk about correcting kids, so we'll get a little bit more into some of those kinds of things, especially if you have children in your home. Uh, but, uh, you know, again, uh, this idea of not trying to change your parents. So we also have to realize next is that parents... Uh, you know, nurture your children in ways that make following Jesus attractive. So nurture your kids so that they want to follow Christ. Um, I was benefit that I grew up in a home that I actually thought everybody said yes to Jesus. I can remember going meeting the Taraminas next door. They just moved into the area. I was probably, I don't know, First grade, second grade, first knock on your door, how you doing? And they, Hi. And I go, my name's Dave Spencer. I'm a Baptist and I love Jesus. You know, something like that. And they're like, whoa. And, you know, I expected them to say the same thing back to me. They're like, oh, that's nice. You know, they, they you know, they, who is this kid, you know? Um, but uh, I just thought everybody would want Jesus a part of their lives because why wouldn't you? I mean, I mean, you know, why wouldn't you want Jesus your friend and, and all of those kinds of things? And so we try to make Jesus attractive. And the reality is we don't have to, hopefully you don't have to work too hard at that. I mean, it's not like, ooh, I got to figure out how to make Jesus look good, you know, because he's really not a great guy, you know, I got to really try to, no, it should be kind of natural, but it shows up in the way Jesus impacts your life. Uh, we read, fathers, don't upset your children. If you're too hard to please, they might want to stop trying. Hear that. Hear that. I love the way the easy read version translates that last phrase. They might want to stop trying. Talk to counselors and children and things going on, and one of the things they say, as long as your kid thinks that it's possible to please you, they will try. But the minute they think it's impossible, they will give up. What's the use? Impossible. So now that connection 
I've tried and tried and tried. I can do nothing that's good enough for him or her mom and dad. And I don't know about you, but I'm a little odd, but uh, it's still built into me. I like to please my parents. Even now, I I like when they say something nice, you know, good job, Dave, or we appreciate that, Dave. I I mean, I don't know why that is. I mean, my dad's 90, and I'm 55. I should, you know, know, but there's something about that. And so if you're a parent, don't waste that. Don't use that up. Don't lose that. And it's not to manipulate or control. Uh, It's just to point to Christ, to make him attractive. And, uh, you know, it's it's a wonderful thing when you and I do that. Let's skip to slide 36. Fathers, don't exasperate your children by coming down hard on them. Take them by the hand and lead them in the way of of the master. I love that gentle kindness side by side lead them in the way of the master. I really uh, remember when our kids were little and we had these lazy boy chairs we just actually got rid of them. They were 25 years old. We got them when we found out we were expecting twins. So we each had our own, and one of the rules was no kid could ever sit in them. Our kids couldn't, so they lasted for 25 years. We gave them to um, the House of Concern, and they said, these are great. I said, well, okay, you know, it's because our kids never sat in them. But anyway, uh, but, uh, you know, uh, you know we, we had them, and we would get up early in the morning, Cindy and I, and we would spend our time with the Lord. And sometime along the line, we discovered that we could buy these uh, from Sam's Club, these miniature little chairs that looked like ours. Uh, the feet would go out, and uh, they, we got them for them. And so early in the morning, they would get up after we'd been up for a little while, and you'd see them. They'd come running down the stairs, blah, 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 sit in their chairs. The legs would go out, grab their little children's Bible, sometimes upside down, and they would model, mimic us. You know, like it would last for like three minutes, if that, because their attention span and on, they'd be on their way to something else. But they saw that. There are things that you can do that your kids will pick up. Does my heart unbelievably good when I see my daughters even now squirrel away with their Bibles to spend time with God. Mariah does it at the breakfast bar, eating a piece of apple with peanut butter. Disgusting, but that's what she does, so I kind of Okay, don't pick on her for eating that because she's reading her Bible. Uh, You know, the other two, when we're together because they're in their own place, it just does my heart good. So in some part, probably more Cindy than me, leading them the way of the master. It doesn't have to be hard. It doesn't have to be uh, difficult uh, to do that. Uh, We read in Deuteronomy, Write these commands that I give you today on your hearts. I like that better. We talked a few weeks ago when we gave you some boom, 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 boom. Don't don't make, you know, edicts on high. Write them on your hearts so they live. Get them inside of you and then get them inside of your children. You see the order there? Believe me, it goes badly when you try to get them inside your children, but they're really not inside you. And your kids are awesome at determining whether that's the case. They know whether, it's not talking about being perfect, but they know if this is a rule for them, but not a rule for you. Talk about them wherever you are. Make it a natural part of life, sitting at home or walking in the street. Talk about them from the time you get up in the morning to when you fall in bed at night. 
And me being a person that would like, loved winter and loved the first snow, I can remember I used to stand at the door when it would first start to snow, and I would always say, who made the snow? And they say, God did. Absolutely right. And it's just something as simple as it's snowing out, whatever it is, make it natural. Make it easy. Jump over to number 40. Slide 40. Yes, there we go. Don't be afraid to correct your young ones. A spanking won't kill them. A good spanking, in fact, might save them from something worse than death. And that's very controversial, but we'll talk about that next week. The concept is discipline, correction, not retaliation, not punishment. But that is a part of leading the way in the master. Aren't I happy that every once in a while I can tell that God is slapping my hand because I've got out of line? and he disciplines me. Because if he didn't discipline me, then I might not change. Sometimes I can learn by just knowing, and sometimes I need to learn because I need the pain of don't put your hand on the stove. Probably all of us in this room, maybe one or two never did that, but all of us found out that when something's hot because someone says it's hot, ooh, ah, that actually was hot. Wouldn't it be nice if we didn't have to learn that? We could just hear that. So this idea of discipline and guiding. You've heard us talk about this before, but this idea when you're trying to lead your children is this rules without relationship produces rebellion. It does that in the workplace. If your boss doesn't have a relationship with you and they're giving you rules that seem crazy, you want to throw them out the window. But if you have a relationship, you at least listen. Same is true more so with your kids. It doesn't mean that you're on equals. It doesn't mean that your kid's your buddy. You're not their, they're not your friend first. You're the parent, but you do have a relationship with them. And to kind of play that out, we've got five little thoughts. First of all, do I believe that my children are not mine, but rather a gift from God, from, from God entrusted to me? They're not yours. They've been trusted to you. Some of us have to be reminded they are a gift. And do I really believe that? Do they know that from the way you interact with them? Are you careful with this precious, fragile piece of china, if you will, that's been placed in your hands, entrusted to you for a short time? They're a gift. Do I, do I believe that? Secondly, um, Am I partnering with God to enable my children to become the men and women he intends them to be? Are you a partner? Actually, God is primary parent, and you're partnering with them. So I, sometimes when I'm stressed about kids and what's happening, I, I, I go, I, I'm trying to help you, God. I'm partnering with you, but you're the primary parent here. I want to do what you want to do in the child. I don't want to have my agenda that's not your agenda. So am I partnering with them? Because I want them to be not who I want them to be, but I want them to be who God wants them to be. Third, do they know how delighted and excited I am about them? Do they feel like I am on their side? 
Do they really know that? I love the fact we can text message. And I try to intentionally, regularly text message my three daughters and now my son-in-law to tell them I'm on their side and how pleased and proud I am of them. I can't believe it. It's, all, it's mostly Cindy, but I can't believe who they are and what they're growing into being. And I'm so thankful and I'm on their side. I hope they know I would give it all away whatever that all is, to ensure that they're moving to the next place in life that God wants them to be. Again, complimenting what God wants to do in their lives. Four, am I growing in my relationship with God so that my children have a model to follow? Not in an arrogant way, not in a self-righteous way. Joked about the the video camera following us around, trying to find a negative thing. What if we had the camera following around to find a positive thing? Something to model. Um, that, that's what it is. Do, do I make the faith contagious? Do they want it because they see the difference it makes in my life so much that they can't imagine living a life apart from God because they know their dad and their mom couldn't do it? And wouldn't do it, wouldn't want to. Number five, am I calling my children to obedience and providing corrective guidance and discipline that is both firm and fair? We'll look at this next week. Does the punishment, the discipline, the correction fit the crime? Am, am, I, am I calling them to obedience in the best way I know. Am I, am I giving them corrective guidance? Or is it just reactionary? Is it because they're messing up my life and uh, I don't like that, so I want to be free of that? I've talked to you about that before. Someone's like, oh, wow, I'm so selfish. I want them to behave so that my life is less messy. No, I want them to behave so that they can be all that God wants them to be. That's why, even though I don't want the hassles. <laughs> so that's got to be the primary directive kind of push for that. So as we think about all of this, we have this ideal like last week, and uh, we have this, uh, you know, this, this gap between the real and ideal. That's our bottom line. It was last week's bottom line. The gap between the real and the ideal ignites us to show up or give up. And I hope as you think about parenting, as you think about being a child to someone, and you see the ideal, and you know the real, that instead of feeling, oh, I'm just going to give up, that you actually show up and start to incorporate these things into your life. And again, if you are a Christ follower, it will be easier because you're working hand-in-hand, hand, or God's working hand-in-hand hand with you to have these things be remind you remember these things, and for you to slowly start integrating them into your life. Often when I'm talking to someone, I'll say, if you're seven miles into the woods and you want to get out of the woods, you still got to travel seven miles out of the woods. You might be able to do it a little faster, 
but you still got to cover that territory. You just don't throw a switch and you're out of the woods. You've got to start making, you know, making it the way back. And so on all of this stuff, if there's heavy and you feel, woe is me, I've got so much to work on, just turn around and start going the other direction. And eventually you'll be making your way out. And as a Christ follower, you do that with God a part of your life. If you're not Christ follower, you're doing that discipline, sucking it up by yourself. And don't think that's uh, the easiest way to go. And I, I think that's really hard actually to go. Would you pray with me? Grace Heavenly Father, we just uh, thank you for this time. We thank you that uh, you do speak into our lives. You do have something for us to, to help our lives, uh, in a sense, be more productive, to be better. And, uh, you know, again, these are principles, and we thank you for them. And we ask that no matter where we're at and we see the ideal and we know the real, that you'll help us to show up in our life not uh, self-medicate by being so busy or doing all these other things or maybe even uh, substance abuse, whatever it may be, to kind of dull our senses to this, that we actually would see the real, we'd know the ideal, and would start moving in that direction. And if there's anyone here this morning who has not said yes to you, has not invited you into their life, we ask that uh, that would happen right now, that they'd say, God, I need you. I need you in my life. I want to follow you and come into my life and help me to start taking those steps. We thank you for all of this. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. On your way in, you should have received some things for uh, some elements for celebrating communion, a little package and a little cracker and a little juice in a, in a little container there. And just a reminder that when we celebrate communion, it's, it's, not a, it's not a magical thing. What we do when we celebrate communion is we're remembering. We're, we're looking back to what Christ has done for us. We sang a lot of songs about that, and we're celebrating that. We're thankful. We look back to what he's done for us. We also look within, and some of our service, some of the message, some of the songs, some of the things that said cause us to look within and go, ooh, I need to grow in this area. Thank you for helping me grow, helping me become the person you want me to become so I can be all that I can be. So we look within. The Holy Spirit says, Dave, you need to work on this. And I try not to just forget about it and just check it out the door, change, what do I need to do, how do I need to start acting, how do I need to make that a part of who I am, so we look within. Uh, we also look around. Uh, that's one reason in your bulletin you have that little extra envelope called love offering, and that's a way that we as a church can, without hesitation, step in and help someone, food, medical bills, payments, rent, whatever it is, we can help them. We can do that immediately because we want to show the love of Christ actually can make, makes a difference. And uh, that's just the icing on the top of the cake. We need to be looking around all the time and being able to come alongside people and help people and be a difference in our lives. Uh, that's one reason we, you know, we have uh, difference maker partners around the world. The Morlings were here this first service, and uh, they're in Papua New Guinea, home right now. But we have lots of missionaries you can see out there, difference makers, and we want to do something with our faith. It's just not so you can be all sad. It's just not so you and I can say, wow, when I die, I know I'll go to heaven instead of hell. This is great. No, it's, it's so much more than that. It's to make a difference in other people's lives. It's to share what he's done for us. So we look around. Then we also look forward. We look forward to the day that Jesus will come back and set things right. 
And there's a balance with that. I long for that day, but I know when that day happens, those that I know in my life that haven't said yes to Christ, time's up. So I am okay waiting a little bit longer for Christ to come back. So maybe my neighbor, maybe my family member, maybe the person I work with or whatever uh, has their eyes open to Jesus. The wait is worth it. But we still look forward. So then when we look at our life, we know that this chapter of life is just a little bit. The next chapter of life is huge, new heavens, new earth. Get a glimpse of what that is. We just know it's going to be amazing. And so we look forward to that. So when we celebrate communion, there's a lot of things going on. And when you and I think of those four areas, it does impact our life. So something spiritual does happen when I look back, look within, look around, and look forward. It changes the way I live. So that's why we try to celebrate communion once a month. So if you remember on the night that Jesus was betrayed, um, he took... He gave thanks, and he took the bread, and he broke it, and he said, this is body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We remember our Lord and Savior this way. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant, the new agreement in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's remember him together. Would you pray with me? Father, there really are not adequate words to express our gratitude and thanks for the gift of your son. We're thankful that he died for our sins, but also rose again. Without that resurrection... It's a wonderful story. It's a great thing that Jesus died for us, but there's no power in it. What changes everything is that you rose him, raised him from the dead. So, Lord, we thank you for that. We ask that it would affect the way we live. We're thankful that we don't have to earn your love. We have it. But because of that love, we do want to live differently. And we want others to see or get a glimpse of you in us. So help us with that. As we leave this place today, we leave celebrating you. And we leave in the mindset of touching other people's lives. We ask that as we leave this place, uh, that that would actually happen. We're thankful that we can leave with peace, strength, and guidance from you. We ask all these things in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Just a couple of reminders, uh, those who might be interested in going to What's Next. What's Next is basically just a 45-minute to an hour time that explains what we're about as a church. Uh, It explains what may be next in your spiritual journey and you're connecting with a church. We talk about uh, beginning. We talk about belonging. We talk about believing. We talk about becoming. And uh, so that's a great way just to get caught up on those kinds of things, the way you can plug in. Uh, and uh, some, someone might have gone to that years ago, and maybe it's good for you to have a refresher class. So, so I think numbers-wise right now we'll meet in the conference room in about 5, 10 minutes. So that's available. Also, uh, the Family Life Center uh, is going to be having their banquet on October 15th. And as a church family, we provide two tables. 
And uh, we'd like to see people be able to go to that and uh, just see what the Family Life uh, Family Hope Center is doing. And uh, so that's a gift from our church to individuals. So uh, we still have some spots for that. So if you stop off at guest services and see whoever's out there, maybe Judy's out there, and uh, she can fill you in on what that's all about. We'd love you to have you plug into that. Uh, again, there is youth group today at 4 o'clock, so if you're in that age group, we'd like to see you tonight for that. And next week, again, we'll talk about correcting kids and what that looks like. So enjoy the rest of your Sunday, and we'll see you back next time. Take care. Thank you.